phone? There you go. All right. Well, thank you for your patience there. Um, the whole experience, right? And there's something about whenever I'm coming up to these things, whenever I'm coming up to these things, there's something inside I automatically feel like I do have something to hide, right? And I'm like, I don't know why I feel guilty, but I, I just do, and I hope I get through this. But, uh, yeah, it's always, it's always that little thing that you, you forgot you had on you, right? I was traveling with some friends uh, one time, and, and true story, he had a knife in his pocket. And luckily, they didn't arrest him. He just, he lost the knife. So, we won't call any names. But, yeah, you got you to gotta watch what you carry into these places. They're, they're uh, very careful now, right? Mm. So, we've been in this series called uh, My New Year's Re- Revolution. My New Year's Revolution. And, uh, you know, it's a series, we've talked about this uh, in the past few weeks. It's a series not just about, like, adding uh, more things to your life or adding even spirituality to your life. It, it's a, this revolution we're talking about is, is about the things that we need to let go. Uh, the things that we need to leave behind. And sometimes the things that we, we, we need to leave behind is the big luggage, the big baggage that you know you, know you carry around and all your friends know you carry it around. You know, when they see you coming, they're like, Here, here's Dave with his baggage. You know, everybody knows about it. And sometimes the stuff that we need to leave behind is the stuff that's not so obvious. It's the little hidden things uh, we don't even realize we're carrying around because it's just become such a part of us. It's almost like a comfort to us, right? It's just the little things that, that seem to sort of almost make us who we are. They become a habit to us. In a, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it says, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. This is a great scripture. It kind of talks about what we've been talking about this month, this past month. Uh, like, like any long distance runner will tell you, you know, it, what, it really matters what, how you dress. It matters how you, what you bring along on that race. And running an endurance race, it really isn't about bringing lots of supplies, is it? It's not like making sure you, you, you're loaded down with great equipment. It's actually about stripping down to the barest of necessities, and that's how you win. You don't want any, a whole bunch of stuff cluttering up your life that's going to drag you down. And so when we talk about wanting revolution rather than just another list of resolutions, that means we want authentic change down inside us. We don't just want to clutter you up with more stuff to do and more, more things to do. We want change on the inside of you that's going to lead you to a year of something different. Does anybody really want a year of something different? Amen. Okay, a lot of us, and I've talked to a lot of you, a lot of us want a year of something different. We want 2015 to be different than 2014. But how many of us are going to do something different? Are you just expecting the year to, like, treat you differently? Like the world to just be cooler to you? Or are you going to do something different, right? So we have to do something. We, we want this 2015 journey. We want it to take us someplace new. Um, and, and there's always things on the outside that we, we want to happen to us. You know, like I, I'd like to lose weight. You know, some of you would like to, you know, make a little more money or, you know, be able to buy more stuff or whatever it is. 
But what we really want, what we really want, I think all of us would agree, is to grow as people. We want to grow. We don't want to be the same person we were last year. We don't want to go through the same set of mental anguishes that we did last year. I don't know about you, but I don't. So in this series, we're talking about doing things in our life and, and, and looking at things, discovering things that we might not normally think about every day, but they're things that'll slow us down. And some things will absolutely disqualify you from your journey, right? You, you won't even get to pass go if you got these things in your pocket. So we've talked about these things that we hang on to. Sometimes they're a sort of a security to us because we've held on to them for so long. And we've got to, to get these things out of our, our life. We've got to lay them on the table. And in our case, we don't want to pick them back up again. We just want to leave them there because, you know, we're, we're kind of like taking a one-way trip. So we just want to say to the TSA agent, you know what, you just keep all that. I don't need it anymore. I'm going to a fresh new place. Um, but the things that, that hold us back, the, uh, we talked about the, the sinful habits that we develop, um, the hidden sins. We talked about the busy schedule. Sometimes we just insist on packing our lives with the fears, the anxieties that we nurture. We talked about that last week. And bitterness and unforgiveness is something that we think we can, we can hold on to without consequences. And that's what, where we're going to go today. So before we go on, let's, let's pray right here. And uh, Father God, hallelujah, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you've got something special to do in our hearts today, Lord. You've got freedom in store for people today. And I thank you, Lord, that you are in this place, that you are with us, Father God, that you love us. You are all merciful, Lord. And I thank you that you know the things that we have inside us, the things that have happened to us and shaped us up till now, Lord. I thank you, Father God. You have a fresh tomorrow for every single person in this room, and you have freedom for people who may be in bondage, and they've gotten so used to the chains, they don't even notice them as chains anymore, Lord God. They think it's just part of them. I thank you, Father God, that you have freedom in store for people this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, Quickly, I want to look at a scripture. It's in Luke 23. And in Luke 23, Jesus is on the cross. And he has been beaten. He's been betrayed. He's been sold out by one of his closest friends. He's been flogged. He's been mocked, spat on. He's having a really, really bad day. And in Luke 23, it says this. It says, where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So, let's really picture this. Jesus, in the midst of excruciating pain, horrific wounds, Jesus' impulse, up there on the cross, what, what's on his mind is forgiveness. Forgiveness. It really, it's a fascinating insight into the, the character of God. That's what's on his mind, is forgiveness. And what are we called to do as Christ followers? We're called to forgive, right? And forgiveness isn't just for, the, for our own benefit. It's not just for the benefit of us. It's, it's also, uh, it, it's not just for the benefit of the other person, rather, but it is also for our benefit, because it sets us free. 
forgiveness sets us free. Unforgiveness, whether it's that kind of raging, you know, fury, unforgiveness that you think about every day, you know, you think about that, you wake up thinking about that, that horrible person, or, or if it's the hidden kind, you don't really think about it a whole lot, but it's in there, and, and you just sort of nurse it inside you in that hidden secret part of your soul. Unforgiveness will, will keep us from ever getting where God wants us to go. So, what I want to do today is, is a little differently. Um, rather than spend uh, an hour telling you that you need to forgive and, and showing you how the Bible says to forgive, I think we kind of know that. I want to look at some of the most common excuses that I hear and that I have used for why we don't forgive. And I want to try to ad- address these one by one. So in my own classy way, I call these the butts of unforgiveness, okay? So here we go. Number one, number one thing we're told we need to forgive, but I can't forget. I can't forget. To which I respond, who said you needed to? Who said you needed to? If you could forget, you wouldn't really need to forgive, would you? Forgiveness, think about it. Forgiveness is this miraculous gift of grace that you extend someone. It's, a, it's the gift of pardon while you remember what it was that they did to you. Forgiveness is not some kind of weird Vulcan robotic, you know, psychological state that we delude ourselves into until we finally have some total amnesia of the event, you know, and then we can forgive. No, it, it is while you are still able to recall that thing, that forgiveness takes place as a, as a transaction of grace. Now, what can happen is you can open the door through forgiveness. You open a door to a future where you will start to think about it less and less. And on a practical level, you may, for all intents and purposes, you know, pretty much forget about it. But that's not the measure of for, forgiveness. And it's not what we need to wait for to offer forgiveness. We might put it this way. We might put it this way. Don't confuse forgiveness with the potential results of forgiveness. Right? The, le- the, the forgetting is a potential result of the forgiveness. Now, some people, some people might say, well, yeah, but what about those scriptures, though, that say that God forgets our sins? as well as forgives. And we're supposed to forgive like God, so, you know, aren't we supposed to forget too? Well, let's think about that. Let's think about that. What does that mean when it says God, when, when God says, I am going to forget your sin? It, it means functionally, I'm not going to raise it up anymore. I'm not going to think about it in context of our relationship. I'm not going to throw that up in front of you. It doesn't mean that literally God is unable to remember. Think about it like this. If you could remember something that God can't, then you would know more than God. Right? I mean, that just makes sense. Um, And and he's got to forget an awful lot of human history too, right? I mean, every so often that must really frighten him. He'd just be like, how did we get this to this place. How did humanity end up in such a terrible state? I've forgotten. 
right? So God doesn't, like, metaphysically, internally forget. It's more like he relationally forgets. It's a process where God says, I will no longer raise this against you. And it's a good pattern for how he does expect us to forgive. So yes, that's, that's how we choose not to dwell on the sins of others. We choose not to bring it up or drag it into the relationship. But it's not some kind of mystical state of amnesia that we have to somehow, you know, meditate ourselves into or something like that, that forgetfulness. There's a beautiful quote by the late Paul Bowes. He says, forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. So forgiveness isn't about forgetfulness, but it means we can be products of our future rather than products of our past. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians, he says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So there you go, right? So Paul forgets the past the way God forgets the past. But what does that mean? It doesn't mean if you were to ask Paul what you were doing five years ago, Paul, what were you doing five years ago? He wouldn't be like, you know, drawing a blank, right? I can't remember. In fact, I can't even remember doing anything wrong, right? Because I can't remember. In fact, verse 6 of this same chapter, he talks about how he was a persecutor of the church, He talks about his own sins. He talks about his past. And then he goes on to say, but here's what I have to do. I have to forget the past. After he just talked about the past, is he confused? No. He's saying, if we translated him into, you know, 21st century speak, he's saying, I choose to be a product of my future rather than become a product of my past. It's who God has called me to become that defines me, defines who I am in the present. It's not the events that have led me to this place. I hope somebody gets that. It is who God has called you to become that defines you, not the events that have led you to this place. Think about this as a little illustration, a little analogy. When driving a car, you have basically two sources for exterior visual input. You got a big old windshield, and then right up here, you got the little rear view mirror, right? Little rear view mirror. And, and proportionally, they're, they're just about right to the amount of time that you look at them, right? It's a small thing, that rear view mirror, compared to the windshield. You glance into it at a small amount of time in proportion to the, the amount of time you glance out the windshield. Um, you look at it occasionally, you know, to see from, you know, where you've come, uh, to see if there's anything coming up from behind you, like maybe somebody with sirens or somebody following you, which occasionally happens to me, um, you know, someone who wants to talk to you. Um, <laughs> and so you look at it occasionally. And, but where do you focus your energies? The windshield, right? That's where you focus your out the windshield. That's where you look when you're moving forward. When is the only time that behavior is reversed? When you're going in reverse, right? You you might look in the rearview mirror. In in fact, sometimes we even like turn our whole bodies. We might look out the back while we're moving in reverse, right? And so so it's it's reversed. And, And this is what we do when we live in unforgiveness. 
we're, we're driving like this. All of our energy is going back there and, and where we've already been, which is a really dumb way to drive, you know, unless you're a stuntman, right? It's stupid to drive a car that way. Many of us live our life that way. So here, here's a tip for us. Instead, let's do this. Use your memories as a catalyst for gratitude and wisdom. Use your memories as a catalyst for gratitude and wisdom. This is what Paul did. This is what God has brought you through, right? Paul looks back at the most difficult and painful and embarrassing times in his life, and he uses that as a launching pad for, for what God has been able to accomplish in him and what he is accomplishing through him right then. Even through those times of tremendous failure and pain, he, God is able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. All right, so that was number one. Number two. Here's, here's an excuse. But justice, justice must prevail. It makes it hard to forgive. We have a need for justice, right? And nobody has a need for justice like, like my boys. <laughs> right? There's, some, there's something about kids, man. They, you don't have to teach them the concept of justice. But if someone else has a slightly bigger portion, they get a little bit more time on the video game. Oh, suddenly, justice is the most important thing on earth. We have got to make this thing right, right? You parents know. If, and, and so we think if I forgive them now, it's like, it's like justice is letting them off the hook. But the Bible tells us that that's God's business. When, when it has to do with a personal relationship, it's God's business. Or it's the law's business if it has to do with some kind of a legal relationship, Right? or even the church community's business, if it has to do with certain ethical relationships or situations. Um, but it's, it's never my personal business to punish anyone or exact justice. And Ro Romans 12 speaks real plainly about that. Let, let me ask you a simple question. Whose sins did Jesus die for? Well, when I... I, I walk around thinking he, he died for mine, for sure, but I also have to admit that he died for the person who has hurt me. He died for his sins. And if God has absorbed the punishment that, that would normally be due that person, he's absorbed it. Who am I to continue to try to punish that person? Right? As though the cross wasn't enough. If God absorbed to himself the pain and the suffering that I think is actually still due somebody else, I'm sort of disrespecting the cross, which is a big deal, right? I'm turning my nose up at the suffering of Jesus, and I'm saying, no, no, that's not nearly enough. This person, you know, needs to suffer too. Some of us, uh, think of it like this. Some of us live, live our emotional life like we're the sheriff in our very own little town, Right? So, so imagine this. You live in this spaghetti western, right? You know, Clint Eastwood. And I know that's kind of lame, but anyway, pretend. You've got this, and you've got your own little sheriff's office, you know, and in that sheriff's office in the corner is that little jail, that little jail built for one. And you have caught the evil most wanted, Bad Bart, right? Whoever Bad Bart is in your life, 
right? You've got them. You caught them. You've put them in your jail, right? Because justice has to be served. But now what? I mean, if they're in there for a, a week or two, that's great. But what if it's like a life sentence? You got you to gotta take care of them. You got to feed ba- bad Bart. You got to clothe bad Bart. You got to make sure he has water every day. You know? Who's in jail here? Right? You can't just go on vacation because you got to take care of bad, you know, you got to bring them with you. So you're walking around with bad Bart on a chain. Right? Because you're both got a life sentence here because justice must be done. And Jesus is kind of like the state penitentiary that comes along and goes, you know, we can take him off your hands. We're, we're equipped to handle this sort of thing. And you're like, no, 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 no. I got to keep him in my jail. I got to keep him in my jail. And you're living out this right life sentence right alongside the person who hurt you. And it's your freedom being swallowed up. Romans 12, 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, <clears throat> excuse me, live peaceably with all. Now notice it says, if possible. If possible. Sometimes our forgiveness leads to a beautiful moment of reconciliation with that person. Sometimes it doesn't, because you're dealing, you know what, with a person, with another, with another will who has free will. So sometimes your forgiveness doesn't. It, it may be that the other party isn't willing to work through things where reconciliation is concerned, but you can offer the gift of forgiveness and release them from your heart. Amen? Amen. Okay, number three. Here's another, here's another but. But they need to be held accountable. All right? They need at least to be held accountable. But see, accountability from a New Testament perspective is really a community concept. I'll explain what I mean by that. In, in Christ's church, the one he describes in the Bible, you are never left alone in the process of holding someone accountable. You're never alone doing that. That sounds really weird, I know, to some of us today. It sounds really like first century or something like that. It kind of is. But Scripture shows us that accountability should be an act of love offered by the church community. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. I I didn't make it up. And so you should never be left alone in that process. In in Matthew 18, I'm not going to read this, but you can see it. We see how something, you know, might begin with a personal confrontation. But if that doesn't go anywhere, immediately another brother or sister is brought in to help. And eventually the whole church, if need be. I've seen, I've seen this uh, pattern over the years, uh, working on or, or near pastoral ministry, just an observation of it. And again, this isn't, this isn't everyone's. So I'm, not, I'm not trying to judge everybody or anything like that. But, but some, sometimes we'll have someone come in with a kind of a, a, a failing relationship. And usually, usually, not every time, but usually by the time they are coming in for counseling, it means that years of secret keeping has not worked. Imagine that. 
and, and they're at the breaking point, and, and we're their last chance. It could be a friendship. Um, it, it could be any kind of family relationship. Uh, but, a, but a marriage comes, let's say a marriage comes in. Again, it's not always the case. This isn't every case, but, but quite often we hear, we, you know, they'll come in and go, look, we've been wrestling with this for years. Nobody knows how bad it is. Nobody knows. We've been wrestling with this. And, and I'm at the point of just walking out, right? I'm on my way out. I am on my way out. You know, but I thought I'd stop by and see if there's anything you could say that would save our marriage. And I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> what? Come on, what? Right? What? <laughs> years, years of living outside of community, talking to no other couples in the church. And now, now at the brink, at the point of utter annihilation of this relationship, we walk into community and we ask for accountability. Now, now I will say better late than never. Praise God, because he can do miracles. But there's a better way than last minute. Right? For those not yet at the brink, there's a better way than last minute. Listen, you got to know that that's not normal. That's not meant to be the normal pattern of your life and your marriage and your friendships and your family relationships. You're not meant to suffer in silence, keep it a secret until you're absolutely about, a, about to put a bullet in each other's head and then drop by the office on your way to the lawyer. It's meant to be different than that, okay? It's not... It's not normal. It is cultural. I'll say that. It is cultural. But it's not Christian. It's not, it, it, it's not Christian to keep those kind of secrets. To, to find, what we need to do is find people within the Christian community where you can sit and, and several steps back from that abyss, you sit and you sit with those people and you say, here are our struggles with each other, whether it's a spouse or a friend or, or a parent, might be a child, you know, that you, you sit with somebody and you say, here's our struggles. And invite somebody, that third-party perspective, to come in and hold us accountable to work through those issues, okay? I, I, I'm, just, I'm just teaching you this morning, right? This is, this is called pastoral care right here, right? I know it's not shouty type of stuff, um, but I, I'm, I, I just want to help you. Um, so, and we do that in the early stages of issues. That's important. The early stages of issues. Make that ingrained. Let's make that ingrained to who we are as people and as a church. What if that was just part of the rhythm of our community? Is that, that living in mutual support of each other, accountability with each other, and working through understandable issues. It's understandable that you have an issue with your spouse or with your child, or your parent, or your friend. It's understandable. It doesn't make you weird, right? It doesn't make you weird or unholy to have issues with somebody. What makes you weird is when neither of you will connect with others to, to be accountable to work through it. That's weird. Amen? Amen. I love you in Jesus' name. <laughs> and you love me. Hallelujah. It, it just got real awkward. 
All right. Um, but that's supposed to be the new normal. What if? What if that was the new normal? It'd be kind of weird first, right? I know it would. It would be a little awkward the first time you, you found trusted friends, people who, you know, seem grounded in the word, you know, and, and seem trustworthy, and, and you just kind of tell them. You're like, I don't know why, why this is coming out, but I'm going to tell you our business. It, it'll feel really weird at first, and then all of a sudden you're going to find freedom, and you're actually going to find results in your life, Right? If, if you're in one of those situations, you don't have to be in that alone. That is not how you were designed. You don't have to keep secrets. But you bring that into community with somebody who's trusted and has wisdom. Or they can just walk with it through you, right? It doesn't mean that other person has to have all the answers. Sometimes they're just a trusted person who walks through it with you. And listen, this is important. This doesn't mean it has to be an appointment with the pastor. The word pastor is not in that scripture anywhere. Did you notice that? Look at it. It says the church. It's the church, right? A lot of us think that we need some professional counseling when what we really need is biblical community. A lot of us think we need professional counseling. And what we have needed all the time was biblical community. Wah! Okay, moving on. <laughs> Number four. Okay, okay, Scott, but they won't even acknowledge, or, or maybe they won't understand what they did. They won't even acknowledge it or understand. They don't understand what they did. Now, this, interestingly enough, kind of brings up an interesting uh, difference between men and women. Generally speaking, Generally speaking, uh, again, not not 100%. Everybody's different and unique and all and all that crud. But anyway, <laughs> it's not absolute. We're generalizing, but but there is this universal trend in how men and women seek justice differently. Um, in studies done, the number one way that men prefer justice is in the form of revenge right? Revenge. You, you hurt me, I want to hurt you back. Then we're even, right? It's why you can see guys in a parking lot, like, you know, hitting each other and fighting with an inch of their life. And then they hug it out and, like, have a beer together. That, that's guys, right? Women are different. Women want justice in the form of understanding, Understanding. If I'm a woman and you hurt me, I, I'm not satisfied just kicking you back and then we're even, right? No, I want you to understand what you did. And all the women said, amen, right? Amen. Yes. There we go. That's right, God approves, mom said. <laughs> understand what you did. Um, Right. And, and, and you husbands, if, if you've been married more than a few weeks, you have learned this too. Right? We can have, uh, my, my wife and I, on, on occasion, very few occasions, have a disagreement, or, or uh, as they're also known, a time when I am wrong and she is right. 
And when I finally come around and I realize even right this whole time, I can go, I can go to her and I can say, baby, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. And that's all great. And she'll, she's so generous and she'll, uh, she's quick to forgive, but she'll give me that hesitant smile. <laughs> and, and it's so true. And it's, it's kind of become a, a funny little thing between us, but she still does it every time. She'll go, do you know what you did? Do you know what you did? And I better have the right answer. Right? It's why if, if the man is late for, a, you know, a rendezvous, let's say, let's say you got something scheduled, 7 o'clock, man, you know, you got a hot date with your lady, and you're late. You're supposed to be there at 7, and, and he's late. She's been waiting. And he gets there, and he in, what does he do? He starts in with the explanations. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. Oh, I had to go. This thing happened. I had to sit through this thing. And then this other person walked in. But see, she left work early. And so she's inconvenienced. And he's there with the explanations. And so she's, she's saying, I don't really care to know the explanations. I want you to know I left work early. She wants, she's wanting a moment for him to just understand the position that he's put her in, rather than just explain why. Amen? Amen. Now, this can be male or female. Some people are just wired this way. It's the desire that the other person understand the pain that they've caused me. Here's the deal, though. That's, that's a hard thing, because the truth is, they might never understand the way you need them to. They might never understand, no matter how much you try or they try. And in if you've put your ability to forgive on the shoulders of another person who, who may or may not come through for you, that's a heavy burden to bear. So what do we do? What do we do when you have that need and have that need for this person to understand, to acknowledge? We have to do what we do with all of our hurts. We take that desire, we take that need, for the other person to understand, and we place it at the feet of Jesus, the one who really does understand. He does. He gets it. And he empathizes. In Hebrews 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he is without sin. See, we have, we have this Savior who knows what it's like. He, he's been betrayed. He's been wronged. He knows. He understands. He feels it personally. In Matthew 25, Jesus even says that the way we treat people, for good or for bad, he feels it personally and completely. Right? What you did for them, you did for me. What you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me. He feels it. So we can take that to him. We can say, Lord, I need to release this thing, and I don't think they're going to understand this thing. And Jesus says, bring it on, because I do. I understand it. Now, incidentally, this, this also has another, uh, brings up another opportunity for us as, as a community, because this is why scriptures tell us that we are to offer one another as, as Christians. We are to suffer with those who suffer, that that person in Romans 12, it talks about this, 1 Corinthians 12, I won't go there. But that, that person who may have sinned against you, they may or may not ever acknowledge what they did, but, 
but we're there for each other so, so that there are others who can enter in and offer that kind of understanding, right? That's another thing that a community does for each other. All right, number five. Okay, this is a big one, but I can't trust them again. I can't trust them again. And this is a big one because forgiveness, forgiveness opens the door to fellowship. It opens the door. But as we've talked about before, it doesn't remove all the consequences for what happened. A lack of trust is a natural consequence of betrayal, isn't it? That if betrayal happens, lack of trust is going to follow. And that may or may not be automatically removed by forgiveness. In fact, when a betrayal happens, oftentimes wisdom, good wisdom dictates that we allow that trust to be rebuilt. Forgiveness is offered as a gift. It's unearned. You don't gotta, you don't gotta work for my forgiveness, right? But trust is something that has to be rebuilt. It's just, that's just true. You, you can remove a nail out of a board uh, but there's still going to be a hole there. There's a hole left behind because, because there are consequences to what we do. There's consequences. The people in my life that I have hurt in my life, I, I cannot, you know, indignantly, self-righteously insist that they trust me without earning it. And so I, I can forgive that person who's wronged me. I can forgive them. It doesn't mean Jesus said that, you know, we have to go back to being super buddy-buddy best friends. And forgiving someone, let's say you're dating somebody, single people, forgiving someone doesn't mean you're ever going to get back together, right? Forgiving a person doesn't mean that everything goes back to how it was before. Let's get really real here. If, if that guy has done that thing to you or your children seven times in a row, forgiving him is a completely different issue from never letting him do it again. Are you catching my drift? I got a couple kids in here. Some people are toxic. We have to acknowledge that. That you know, the spiritual regeneration of the Holy Spirit has not happened to them yet. You know, they're toxic. And so because of, of what's been done, we, we may need to set up really strong boundaries with some people. And, and we're going to set them free in our heart. We're not going to hold malice. We're not going to hold anger or rage or anything like that. But because of what they've done, it's toxic, it's dangerous, and strong boundaries may need to be set up so that won't happen again. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? And, that, and that's not... That's, that's a different thing than forgiveness, okay? And sometimes the person who's done the wrong will be like, hey, you're supposed to forgive me. You're supposed to forgive me. You know, things are supposed to go back to how they were. And you say, no, no, no. We forgive them. We extend God's love to them. But that's different than everything returning to how it was. Because actually, I might say this, going back is not the goal. Moving forward is the goal. Going back is not the goal. We want to move forward. And the nature of what, what they did, it may be such that it means we can't go back to how it was. And that's okay. 
right? Because God's got a good tomorrow. Amen? Amen. God's all about tomorrow. Number six, here we go. We're getting close to the end here. There's seven of these. Did I tell you that? Okay, there's seven of these. So see, you're so close. Number six, okay. But I can't forgive myself. I can't forgive myself. It's amazing. You know, as we read scripture, Paul was able to do something amazing. He, he took his own sin, and he did like this spiritual jujitsu to it, like where you flip your opponent over, the enemy of his soul, his, and he used his regrets, and he returned them to God in the form of gratitude for his salvation. Now, often what's happening in people, I think, uh, who tell me they can't forgive themselves about something, often that's actually a sign of something unresolved inside you that needs looking at. And I'm going to kind of buck conventional wisdom here. This, you know, goes against maybe Dr. Oz. But um, I would say this. The problem is really not that you can't forgive yourself. What? It might not be that you can't forgive yourself. From a biblical perspective, the concept itself is sort of questionable. Forgiving yourself, it's really not in the Scripture. I don't see it. Uh, it, It's not something we're taught from Scripture. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of attention, if any, paid to it, on the need to forgive oneself. Why? If God says you're forgiven— And he's sort of like the king of the universe, the supreme final authority. If God says you're forgiven, who are you to argue? You're forgiven. So the Bible doesn't really act like this needs a whole lot of extra argument, you know, to help you feel that. He says you're forgiven. So biblically speaking, it's not something you need to seek your life trying to achieve forgiving yourself. Now, however, having said that, that doesn't mean that that, that feeling, that that's, it is a meaningless feeling. Uh, if you are feeling that, so there's something generating it, and what's usually happened is there's some unresolved issue in a person's life. And, and you know, we're reaching out for some phrase, uh, to, some label to wrap around this feeling, so we call it, uh, you know, being unable to forgive ourselves. It may be a sign that you still need to find out who you need to repent to. It may be a sign that you need, you need to seek, seek out who it is you need to forgive, who you need to ask for forgiveness from, and then learn to receive that forgiveness, right? Instead of obsessing over forgiving yourself, here's a better way. Just accept God's verdict of you. Accept what he thinks about you. Accept his opinion of you. And be thankful for it and move forward. Get unstuck and move forward. He's, he's declared his, his verdict. Forgiven. That's his verdict. Okay? Number seven. Last one. Okay, I just can't do it. It's too hard. The pain is too great. I just can't do it. For some of us, the pain has become so wrapped up in our identity. You guys know who I'm, you know know who you are. It's that to say, to say, I forgive. I'm going to let that go. 
it would be like leading you into uncharted territory, right? Like a, it would be a mystery. You're not even sure of, of who we'd be anymore if we let that go. Paul says in uh, Philippians 4, this is encouraging. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You said you can't. Well, Paul and I say you can. Because God says you can. You can do this. God will not command you to do something you're incapable of doing. And if you are incapable, he said, I'll help you. All right? Now, let me kind of to, to bring this pretty close to a close here. In ending number one, I, I want to kind of extend a, a hand of, of grace. I've been hard on you now, so I'm going to extend a hand of grace to all of us, and I want to remind us of something, of this truth, and that is forgiveness is a process. Okay? Forgiveness is a process. Perhaps you're here this morning, and you're sitting here, and by the end of this day, maybe you've, you have taken that radical step of deciding you are no longer going to kill that person. Yes, right? We are going to celebrate that baby step together. Way to go. Way to go. We're going to take all, all the progress we can get, okay? It's a process. And sometimes what happens is we carry stuff around for years, you know, we ca- you, you carry it around for years, and you carry it around for years, and it's there, and it's kind of, it's just become like, it's got a nice comfy spot inside your soul. And then someone comes along and says, hey, you're supposed to forgive them now, right? And as if you can do that in 10 minutes. Um, sometimes the, the wrongs that have been done to us ha- have shaped us, and shaped us in such profound ways that we're not even aware of it. We're not aware that we're, you know, we look this way because of that wrong that was done to us that we haven't let go. And and we have to forgive them. But but to forgive them isn't just to set them free. And for those for those of us who are like this, it's it's this awareness that I'm going to have to unlearn a whole bunch of behavior. Right? For some people. And that may take time. So if you're sitting there and you're feeling, whoa, whoa, man, I, I, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could do this. Just one step. One step. Even entertaining the idea that this person may be forgivable. For you, that might be a brave, radical next step. Just considering the possibility this person may be forgivable. The Apostle Paul said this. Now, he was saying this to his fellow brothers and sisters, to to other Christians. He said this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. So he's saying that to Christians. Until Christ is formed in you, I am like in the pains of childbirth, See, salvation comes into our life instantly. You're saved. You're, you know, you're saved to the soul, but becoming formed into the image of Christ, being changed by God so that he can use you to change the world, which is our vision 
that's a lifelong journey. That's a lifelong journey, and we get to take that together. It's a process. Jesus said this in John 8. He said, to the Jews who had believed him, so these are believers, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth will set you free, but it's not just knowing it. Look what comes first. If you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. So it's not just believing the truth. It's in the act of doing what Christ said. It is in the act of habitually and continually forgiving every day over and over and over again until it becomes second nature, until you're just a forgiveness machine. And it's just part of the rhythm of breathing for you. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Thank you very much for flipping me off. I forgive you, right? Whatever happens, I forgive you. Forgiveness, until it becomes a part of us. That then Jesus calls us true disciples. I want to leave you today uh, with a quote and a question. A quote and a question. The quote is from Dr. Celestin Musakura. He's a man, he was a Hutu in Rwanda, and he survived the 1994 genocide. He went on to found this organization devoted to forgiveness and reconciliation in Africa. He said the choice isn't between forgiveness and unforgiveness. The choice is between forgiveness and non-existence. See, forgiveness, it's the gift of humanity that you're giving back to yourself. So we're left with the question, are you ready? Are you ready for freedom today? Are you ready for revolution? Sometimes revolution comes with a lot of shouting and it's awesome, and sometimes revolution comes with just a quiet release of someone you've kept in your little jail cell Are you ready to become truly alive and be the person that God's always meant for you to be? He's got so much for you. He wants freedom for you. Whatever it was they did, release it. Leave it it at the boarding gate. Leave it back there. God doesn't want you carrying it on the plane anyway. You're not going to need it where you're going. Leave it behind. Amen? Let's pray for one another. Hallelujah. Father God, I know this is perhaps not a problem for for some people here, but I know for some others of us, it really hits close to home. And you're so faithful. You knew that we were going to need some help with this, Lord God. And I thank you that you are faithful to not leave us alone, but you have left us a comforter, Lord God. You have left us the Holy Spirit that'll move in us, Father God. Father, we need your help. We, we see in your word that it says that through Christ, I can do this. I can do this thing through Christ who strengthens me. And so we need, we need that strength. We need that help, Father God. I ask you, Lord, to just move inside of us Give us a a fresh revelation of your love for us, how much you've forgiven us 
all that you've forgiven us from, that you don't even hold it against us. You're not even holding it in front of us. You're not bringing it up in front of us, Father God. It's all behind us. Help us to have that revelation of how much we are forgiven so that we can in turn extend that forgiveness to others and become forgiveness machines. I praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and your love. I thank you, Father God. I see with my visionary eye, Lord God, that you are turning turning us into that kind of community, Lord God, where we are helping each other. We're loving each other. We're holding each other accountable, Father God. I thank you, Father God. You're showing us the way. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. Thank you uh, for letting me talk to you just really real today. You guys are awesome. And I'm asking our prayer partners to come forward right now. And uh, if there's anything that you need freedom for in your life, come and get these people to pray with you and agree with you in faith. It's not the same after we pray. Amen. I want to tell you about one other thing before I let you go. This Saturday night, we've got our Saturday night, night of worship. And uh, we, we do these every once in a while. We haven't had one in a couple months. And I'm telling you what, you do not want to miss it. I got to watch them rehearse yesterday. And it is amazing. It's going to be so much fun. But we are going to get into the presence of God. So Saturday night, 6 p.m., be here. And you're, it's going to be the, the best hour of your week. Because we're just going to get right on into the throne room of God. Worship his name like crazy as a body. And uh, there may just be some dancing and craziness going on too. So come prepared for that. Okay, Saturday night, make sure you make it here because it's going to be awesome. All right, thanks guys, bye-bye.